Father in heaven, thank you so much for seeing us safely through this week. Thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come once again to study your word. And Lord, we don't take it lightly, this privilege that we have to commune with our heavenly Father and with Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, uh, I just pray that we will be able to gain that audience with you this evening. That as we pray in faith, Lord, that you'd come down and speak to each of our hearts so tenderly and so clearly that you would guide our study and that our thoughts as it is lifted heavenward, that your thoughts would be brought down to this earth and to communicate with us. So guide us now, Lord, please send us your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the study that we'll be studying together this evening is Jesus' encounter with the man that is sick with the palsy. You know, Jesus, he has often and he was often found healing people and tending to those that were sick, homeless, the little children, and for those that were just less fortunate than many people out there. And often he was found preaching and teaching as well. And the reason why people were so open to his teachings was because he ministered to their needs. He, he met them where they were and only after he, he fed them or he healed them, then he said, come follow me. And he truly fulfilled all those prophecies that were given about the Messiah from the Old Testament that would point people back to the scriptures of what he was doing. And in Mark chapter 2, where our study is found this evening, this was also another case. So Mark chapter 2, we start in verse 1. The Bible says this, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. You know, Jesus was famous already by this time. Standing room only. No internet back in those days. No, nowhere where you can go live over, over these way, airwaves that we have today. Um, there was nowhere where you could post and say, hey everybody, I'm preaching here and it would be so nice if you could all join us. Jesus didn't have to announce. In fact, Jesus most times had to go to these places wherever he was going secretly. But why was Jesus so famous? Well, we go back to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. This is what it says. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. You know, in Mark chapter 1, we're told that Jesus went to church. He was found there teaching. And when he taught, he taught with such authority, people were amazed. They were impressed. They were, they were being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because man never spake like this man. And so he, the, the sort of teaching that he brought was not those dry, spiritless, traditional preaching. He preached straight from the Word, and the Holy Spirit accompanied every word. And so the, the first indication that the reason why Jesus was so famous was because the words that he spoke were captivating. And it was like what? The healing balm that people were searching for. But what else? In Mark chapter 1, continuing verse 23, the Bible says this, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, 
let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Verse 28, And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. So he was healing. He was casting out evil spirits. And when people saw that, his fame spread out. It was the, the impressiveness, the, the solemnity, the, the greatness of his preaching. And then the, the, the healing and casting out of people with evil spirits. And then also Mark chapter 1, we find something else. Mark 1, 32 to 34. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And so he was healing not just those that were possessed by evil spirits, but even those that were physically sick. And so as Jesus was preaching, as Jesus was healing, his fame spread abroad everywhere. And even at the end of Mark chapter 1, we see his encounter with a leper and look what happens after Jesus heals this man who had leprosy. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was, out, was without in desert places and they came to him from every quarter. Jesus was so famous, he could not go into the city. It could, not, it could not support the crowds that were coming looking for him. He had to go out into the desert place. The Bible says he was a famous teacher. He was a famous preacher. He was a famous healer, a hope in the midst of all the oppression that Israel was facing at that time under the hand of the Romans. And so people were gathered to listen to this amazing man sent from heaven. And so as these people gathered together in Mark chapter 2, Jesus began to preach the word to them. Healing was important, but it isn't the gospel, friends. True and total healing begins with the word of God. And we're going to see that in this encounter this evening. Jesus knew that the physical was only a small part of the equation because he needed to minister to the inner man, to speak to their hearts and minds. And so as he's preaching and people are gathered, even until the door, what happens? Mark chapter 2, verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Four men bring their friend to Jesus. He was a paralytic. He couldn't walk. He needed his friends. Or I should say this man needed four Christians or four deacons or four deaconesses to help him. Yes, last week Jesus was the one who approached the man that was lying by the pool at Bethesda. But today, this story, it aligns more with the mission that Jesus has given to us in the present time. We need to be the ones that are bringing people to Jesus. People rarely will come of their own accord. And I should say that this man was brought by four friends that he had met at church. 
because it's too often that we bring people to church, but they are not our friend. They are a ministry. They are a number. And they, they aren't someone that we consider friends. You know, what, what is a friend? A friend is someone that you hang out with, that you eat with, that you socialize with. And it's not just on the Sabbath day. You know, friends, we got to have these sort of friends in our church. And these are the sort of people that we need to be to others who are sin sick, that are looking for Jesus. Friends are those that you invite to your birthday party, to, to your hangouts and, and all these things. And this man, he was blessed with four of them. I hope you have such friends this evening. But if you don't, don't lose hope. Look, you got to pray. God, give me such wonderful friends. And I know that God will answer such a prayer request. Not because He wants you to lean on the arm of flesh, but friends, we are made as social creatures. We need, especially those that are the leaders in our churches and those that have been longtime Christians, we need to be those sorts of friends today. But let's continue. Mark chapter 2 and verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto Him for the press, they uncovered the roof where He was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. You know, they could not come in because of the what? The press. People were blocking the way. They could not get in. And so what did they have to do? With great effort, they had to pull the man up onto the roof. I don't think there was stairs that led up there. They had to pull that man up onto the roof. Not only that, when they got there, they had to uncover the tiles or the roof or whatever it is. And then they had to slowly and gently with the, the, the remaining amount of strength that they had left to put this man down at the feet of Jesus. It was urgent. It was urgent. This man, he must have been at the end or, or near the end of his life. And so they couldn't wait for Jesus to finish his sermon. They had to bring him and put him at the feet of Jesus. You know, friends, this is true evangelistic effort. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of strength. It takes time if we want to see souls saved into the kingdom. And friends, if only our evangelistic efforts were that urgent today. So many other things are urgent in our lives nowadays, isn't it? But this man, his friends saw the urgency with which they had to come and put him at the feet of Jesus. They were unashamed to interrupt Jesus' sermon. Look, when someone breaks a hole in your ceiling, I don't think anyone is just going to ignore and keep preaching as if nothing happened, right? You're going to stop. You're just going to be silent. And everyone's going to sit there and they're observing. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. Is Jesus going to turn this man away? Of course he isn't. What happens next? Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Friends, can you see faith? Can we see faith? You know, in Hebrews 11, we like to say, Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But yet here, we can. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, just in case you didn't see it, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus said He saw their faith. Look, He did not see the faith of the crippled man. 
Not the one that was lying in that bed or that rug or that cloth that they were holding. No. He saw the faith of those four men that were bringing their friend and laying him at the feet of Jesus. But you know, friends, what did Jesus actually see? Did Jesus see the Word of God? Were they singing scripture songs? Were they reciting Bible texts? Is that what Jesus saw? No. What did Jesus actually see? Well, you know, even though Jesus was busy preaching, He did see these four men come to that friend. He did see, just as He saw, um, who was it, Philip that was praying, right? In John chapter 1, He saw these four men come and lift this man from his house or where he was, and they brought him to the house. He saw that they could not get in through the door or through the window. Too packed. He saw when they lifted him up. He saw when they broke that roof open. He saw when they lifted, uh, gently laid him down and, and let him down through the roof at his feet. He saw their faith. But wait, all that I talked about, we don't usually call that faith. What do we call that, friends? What do we call all that I've described? The men bringing that four man, that man, the four men pulling them up to the roof and breaking the roof and bringing him down. What do we call that? That's not faith, what we usually say, we see. We call that works, isn't it? Yet the Bible here says when Jesus saw their faith. You know, there's a really important lesson for us to learn from this verse and this story. Faith isn't true faith until it can be seen. Faith isn't true faith until it is manifested in works. Faith finds its ex expression in the way that you live your life, not just for yourself, but also for others. True faith will learn to live for the salvation of other people. For truly, faith without works is dead. No works, no faith. Broken works, broken faith. Good works, good faith. Friends, what is your faith like today? Or should I say, what are your works like today? When Jesus sees your works, when He saw your works for this past week, what did Jesus see? Can He declare that He saw faith? Or are the works that you do more to do with the world and nothing to do with faith? Are your works guided by love for Jesus and love for man in service to humanity? Or are your works all about me, myself, my time, my life, my work, my studies? Me, 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 me. Does your works lead people to the feet of Jesus and not just you sitting at the feet of Jesus where Jesus can heal them though? You know the condition of your faith by looking at your works. And maybe you might say, well, Ben, you don't understand. You're a pastor, of course. Your, your work is to do that. That's why you're paid. But I have to support my family. I have to. You know, my, my, my parents sent me here to KL to study. This is what I'm doing. Yes, but friends, I'm not just asking about that. How about your free time? How do you use your free time? What has been the tenor of your life in how you've used that free time this past week? Has it been to be a blessing 
Has it been uh, uh, the result? Has it been that you, you've brought someone closer to Jesus? Even though you worked, you studied. How about all that other time that you have that goes beyond just your work and your studies? How does Jesus see your works? Can he say like what he saw when he when he said when, when he saw those four men, when he saw their faith, then he turned to that man and said, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know, friends, most of us we we, we live self-serving lives, isn't it? We do for, for the most of our, our life, for the most of the week. You know, when you work, even though you might be working in ministry, you're still paid, you know. But what do you do beyond that? For some, they are doctors. What do you do beyond being a doctor? For some of you, you're accountants. What do you do beyond just crunching numbers um, for, for a ministry even? And not just seemingly for yourself. But, you know, that's still, quote-unquote, what we call what? A company, right? But what do you do beyond just your own life? Even though you had to study, you had an exam coming up this week, what have you done to be a blessing beyond just your own four walls? You know, the heart of a true Christian, it beats for the lives of other people and not just for themselves. To save them, to be a blessing to them, to, to let them be healed, to let them see the beautiful face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is something that we really need to think about. This is what you need to consider. It's not just about, oh God, I did not sin this past week. I didn't steal. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat, I didn't commit adultery, I didn't kill, I honored my parents, now I'm keeping the Sabbath. But so many of us, we've just lived for ourselves. What is the condition of your faith? A man, he is never saved by works, but a man without good works will never be saved, right? Except, of course, we have the rare occasion of the thief on the cross who had not any opportunity to display his good works and his love for Jesus because after Jesus said, oh, I'll see you shortly in paradise, he died. But friends, you can know whether you are saved. You can know the condition of your faith by simply looking at your works. And you know what also is interesting, friends? When Jesus sees the faith of these four men, then he looks at this man sick of the palsy and says, your sins are forgiven you. It was probably like the man that we studied last week, you know, because of what he'd been doing personally and privately in his own life that has caused him to be, to contract this sickness that he couldn't walk anymore. Um, it was probably his fault. He'd been practicing some secret sin and he needed to hear the words of Jesus saying to him, I forgive you. Jesus knew his need and the first thing Christ said and did was to relieve him of his mental anguish. You know, guilt had probably been plaguing him for so many years because of his own vice and sins. And so Jesus, he forgave him first. And you know, that, that sort of weight that we carry is a bigger weight than many of us carry with physical sickness. The guilt that we carry is something that we carry with us wherever we go. And even when we try to sleep, it becomes difficult. And so Jesus knew his need. 
And he says, I forgive you. But what happens as soon as Jesus says that? Mark chapter 2, 6-7. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And they rose up quickly to condemn Jesus, not realizing that they were actually sitting in the very presence of God at that very moment. They didn't realize that one greater than man was gracing their presence. But let's continue. Verse 8. So how does Jesus respond? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is, is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins? He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And so when Jesus, he perceived what they were thinking, he knew because he was God, he knew what they were thinking in their hearts, he immediately addressed it. And he said what? What is easier? Is it easier to say, friends of man, I forgive you? Or is it easier to say to a man, take up your bed and walk? Which one's easier? And look, we know what's easier. It's easier just to say, I forgive you, isn't it? I mean, nothing in a sense, if we could say miraculously happens. Of course, to the person who is forgiven, much happens. Immediately that man would feel relieved of his burden knowing that what? God had forgiven his sins. But I'm telling you, to say to a man, get up and walk, have you ever done that? Have you ever gone into to the hospital or someone who, who has been sick for 30 years or 20 years or even one year can't walk and you say to them, man, get up and walk? They would just laugh at you, wouldn't they? Of course, it was easier to say, I forgive you. But you know what, friends? The work that God has to perform on the human heart is sometimes much, much more difficult than just helping a man with a physical infirmity. The guilt that we carry with us, the worry on our hearts, a, a conscience stricken with the understanding that, you know, of having done something wrong and now I'm paying the price for it. This sort of burden that we carry is much heavier than any physical problem and burden than ever we can face. And Jesus knew what this man sought for first. That's why he said to him, I forgive you. That God forgives you. That even though you got yourself into this problem, I forgive you. You know, I've done stuff wrong all the time, every year, every week. And there was one occasion, you know, I know what it feels like when people don't want to forgive you. You know, there was one time I hurt this friend of mine and I went to them and I asked them, please forgive me. And they said, you know what? I can't right now. Not right now. Leave me alone. And I went away from that, that talk, that encounter with such a heavy heart. It was all that I can think about. You know, the, one of the worst things that we could ever do, friends, as a Christian or even as a human being is to withhold forgiveness 
from people that have done us wrong and they come and they apologize and they say sorry and you don't want to forgive them or you just brush them off. It is a heavy burden to carry. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew that this man had to be forgiven first before he was healed physically. And you know, many of us, we have a heavy load on our hearts and we try to find a solution for it through drugs, through partying, through, through games and movies or even relationships. What the world offers to us is, is just endless and, and we jump from one vice to another solution and, and it end, ends up becoming an addiction and we look for temporary solutions that the world tries to offer us and it leads us deeper into vice and sin. Jesus is the only one that can lift that burden from us, friends. And the gift that Christ, He so longs to give to each and every one of us is, is a mind that is free from, from guilt and the burden of sin and of shame and of wretchedness. And so He says to the man first, before healing him physically, He says, I forgive you. Only after that does Jesus heal the man physically. I know it's easy for me to say because I've not experienced such a sickness in my life. But Jesus longs to heal the sin-sick soul more than the physically sick. Not because He doesn't care, but why? Because He knows that there's a day coming that He's going to make whatever you were healed from even better. Because this man, he just went back to a mortal body. Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, came back only to die a few years later, right? All the people that have been healed from sickness, even resurrected from the dead, these people would eventually die. But when Jesus comes for a second time, no more pain, no more sickness, no more crying, no more death. And all things are made new in the twinkling of an eye. And so, yes, God can and He will, but He, he knows that in order for us to taste that, that blessedness in the future, He has to heal the sin-sick soul first. And so he sees that of much more importance than healing this man physically. Yet I know that probably most people that are out there listening to this live stream this evening, you know, you, you, you've probably, you're probably not that physically sick right now. And maybe you've been through some sorts of sickness. I have. I remember just I think a few years ago, I was sick for a month. I ended up being in hospital and finally they gave me antibiotics and I was well by the next day, praise God. But not to the point where we can't walk. But friends, have you realized your need for forgiveness in your heart? Maybe your sins have not you know, struck you down physically and it, they've not affected you in such a negative way that you need God or else you perish. But this, this man certainly had come to that point. But that's wherein the difficulty of forgiveness lies because many of us don't realize how sick we are, how much in desperate need we really are of Jesus. The world has caught us away and, and got us all tempted and distracted with the glitter. And we forget that Jesus, that's not what He looks for when it comes to righteousness. That's not what He, he, he categorized as important in this world. But He looks into the heart. And so He heals the man. First, spiritually, mentally. And then only, 
physically. You know, I want you to take a step back and look at this picture that we, we've just seen. Jesus in this house. And uh, it was packed with people. Standing room only, right? People couldn't get in. The, the, the four friends could not bring this man in through the door, in through the window, in and through anywhere. Just to get him to the feet of Jesus. You know, they had been listening to the preaching of Jesus. That's the reason why they were there. And there was one person sick. Yet it was only this man that Jesus forgave. It was only this man that even though there were other people in his presence, it was only him that felt and received the healing stream that Jesus Christ desires to give to everybody. Only one felt their need. Oh, really, I should say only five felt their need because when Jesus saw the faith of the four, then he was willing to heal the one. But you see, only one experienced it. And here we see the comparison between the two types of Christians that are out there today. Oh yes, they go to church. They're quietly sitting there listening to the sermon. They're all inspired by the words that come from the pulpit. But yet there are only four that are concerned and motivated and involved in bringing others to the feet of Jesus. You see, friends, our Christian experience cannot just be tied up in going to church just once a week, or rather tuning in once a week to this broadcast or for 24 hours throughout the Sabbath. Our, our Christian experience can't just be that. It's got to go beyond the four walls and our own desires and our own needs. It's not enough just to sit at the feet of Jesus in your devotion um, just to make sure that Jesus guides your life and blesses you and, 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 you know, for so many selfish reasons as well. But how has Christ stirred your heart for those that are lost, for those that are sin sick? How has your devotions brought you to the point where you feel a burning love for those that don't know Christ and are hopelessly lost in sin? This paralytic, this paralytic man was in a hopeless condition. He represents the lost. That's why Jesus said to the man that he forgives him. What was the condition of their faith? The four men? They were the ones that, sure, they wanted to probably hear the words of Jesus, right? But they were in a more important mission. And look, I'm not saying that um, listening to the Bible and, and hearing the words of Jesus and going to church is not important. Those are very important, friends. And this was probably not um, on the Sabbath or else the scribes and the Pharisees that were sitting there would have condemned Jesus again for healing on the Sabbath, right? And for the men breaking up the roof and all of that. So no, it probably wasn't on the Sabbath. So, you know, this was Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, it was any other day other than the Sabbath that these people were all gathered together, religious men. But you see, friends, your spirituality has got to take you beyond just, God, please forgive me, please save me, please help me, please bless me. It's got to go beyond that. Our prayers have to go beyond that. 
so many of us, you see, there's the tale of two Christians. Those that are seeking for the blessing, yes. And we need the spiritual blessing, but the spiritual blessing has got to go beyond what? Our four walls. It's got to go beyond just our own life. It's got to go beyond my own blessings. But seeking for the blessings of others. You know, Christ, He longs to work through every Christian. For every person that names the name of Christ, He wants to work through each and every one of them. The fields are white to harvest, but the laborers are few. And so when Christ says, when He comes for a second time, will He see faith? Will He find faith? Will He find people burning with the zeal and the love of Jesus for the lost? Are there going to be those that He's going to find praying for the lost and bringing those that still need saving and healing, bringing them to the foot of the cross. Does Jesus see that sort of activity today? Not just, just those that are sitting there, reading their Bibles and praying and, and that's it. But friends, the reading of your word and the praying, the prayers that you pray, the experiences that even this private times that you have with Jesus has got to take you beyond just your own room and your own life. Because you can't miss seeing it in the scripture that when Jesus prayed he was praying for others that even when 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 you ask for blessings you know in the bible when people ask for blessings yes god gave the riches to solomon but that's not why solomon was asking he was asking for wisdom so pray for the blessing of the holy spirit that god would give you wisdom to teach a bible study or to even preach or to even share or pray for courage, the faith of the martyrs to go and knock on your neighbor's door and get to know them. Or to share with them. Or even just say hi to them when you see them walking by or in the elevator. You got to pray for these sort of encounters. You got to ask God to bless you so that you can be a light that is set on a hill. You know, friends, all these things, this, this faith, it starts off small like a mustard seed. But you know what happens? It grows into a big tree where all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, they end up lodging under there and you end up providing for them. He wants to, us to be like the fountain of living water after we have drunk from it, that it overflows as a spring and a stream that flows out to bless other people. Friends, Christ he wants us to be a light that is set on a hill so that when others see, they will end up praising God. He wants us to live just beyond ourselves and our own lives, but to be a blessing to other people more than just going to church, more than just growing in truth, more than just walking with Jesus day by day, all of which is important and necessary to the Christian if they want to grow. But now He wants us to open our eyes and to see beyond our own pitiful and meager existence, to realize it's not just about me, myself, and I, but it's about others. It's about bringing our friends, our neighbors, all those that pass us by every day to the feet of Jesus. And so where do you start today, friends? Where do you start? If you realize when you honestly reflect and you look back in this past week, that you've not lived for anyone but yourself. You've not prayed for anyone but your own family. 
and blessings of safety and prosperity, then where do you start? You pray. He wants you to pray. God wants you to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is an evangelistic prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer full of faith. Pray. Father, just help me to just repeat these words. And maybe this prayer is too famous, you know. I remember when I was in England for a few years growing up, we would recite this prayer every day or every week in school. And it can become meaningless, but now as you pray it, it can change. It can change the way you look at this life. It can change the way you begin to live this life. And you know His will that is done in heaven? You know who does it? You know, when you, you pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, who does the will of the Father in heaven? It's angels. And so Hebrews 1, you know what it tells us about angels? They're ministering spirits. It's the very last verse of Hebrews chapter 1. I'm sorry, I don't have the verse in front of me. But it says that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those that will be heirs of salvation. And you know who are those that will be heirs of salvation? Those that are living on this world today. He wishes for us to be like angels. And that's why in Revelation chapter 14, the three angels' messages are not done by literal angels, but by people who represent angels going throughout the whole world telling people about the gospel. That, my dear friends, is learning to do the will of God today. You can start by praying. You can start by asking, God, help me to do your will. What does that mean? I don't know. And you don't need to know. But if you pray for that, God will answer. Oh, friends, He will answer. He will show you His will so clearly. There will be no mistaking it. We just got to start somewhere. And so for Dakis, Sakis, you know, you can pray. Sunday morning. Dakis is a Tuesday night. We have Sakis, we have prayer groups that, that people get together in small groups to pray throughout the week. You can find a prayer partner and do discipleship together. I know my wife, she's studying with uh, another person, I don't want to name them, but you know, they're, they're doing devotions together in terms of as they read, they share. I know, I know another uh, couple of people that pray together every day. Friends, Pray. And as you pray, God will show you His will. He'll reveal it to you. Not only, not only will He do that, He will set your heart on fire with the love of Jesus and the love for seeing souls saved into the kingdom of heaven. It's not about a number. It's about friends on earth. The sons and daughters of God all are called to salvation. But we need to be His instruments today. May God help us to that end. Let us bow our heads, shall we, as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we see this man that was sick of the palsy, we really see his friends. And we realize that not only, yes, we are sin sick, and we need you, Lord, to relieve us of our burden. But when you do, Father, you're calling us to be like those friends as well to have that sort of ministry, to learn to bring people 
to your feet, Lord. For Father, we know that that's where the healing is found. That is where it really matters. And so, Lord, I pray that you please be with all of us. Help us to see beyond just our own personal lives. Help me, Lord. It's so easy to be selfish. Help me to see, Lord, that there are people that are out there that are just not as fortunate to hear the gospel. And Lord, you're calling every single one of us to be that light for you today. So Father, please help us to carry that light to the end of the world. But we've got to do it by starting sharing that light with all, all those that are around us. Our roommates, our housemates, our family members that have not accepted you, our neighbors, and even the communities that we live in. Oh Lord, please help us to be that blessing. Help us, Lord, to just not be filled with self and selfishness, but to look beyond all of that. And so guide us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. May your will be done on earth today, just as it is done in heaven is our earnest plea and prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.